Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. One of my favorite conversations I've ever had on There Are No Girls on the Internet is with a writer who was targeted and harassed online about how she continues to stay safe while doing visible work on the internet. Without missing a beat, she said, anybody worried about online harassment should sign up for Delete Me. I signed up for Delete Me right then and there, and I personally recommend it to anyone. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and use promo code nogirls at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and enter code nogirls at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash nogirls, code nogirls. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. There Are No Girls on the Internet is a production of iHeartRadio and Unbossed Creative. I'm Bridget Todd, and this is There Are No Girls on the Internet. Joey, thank you for being here. Happy New Year. First newscast of 2024. Hey, Bridget. Happy New Year. So it being the new year, I have to start with a question. Do you have any kind of online New Year's resolutions, or maybe not even resolutions, things that you are like, I am leaving this in 2023. This is not, I'm not bringing this with me to 2024. Ooh. um, One thing I definitely, at the end of the year, when it comes to like internet stuff, um, I'm, you know, I was on all the social medias and everything. And I was like, sort of trying to like, downsize a little bit I was like I wanted to get rid of so like I don't know I had a snapchat account that I made in like high school that I was like I don't use this anymore I'm deleting it I deleted be real I know that that's been making a comeback like the last month but I was like I don't use this I'm so yeah I think I'm I'm one of my things is I was like I'm gonna be online but it's gonna be with like intention like I'm gonna not just gonna have my like miscellaneous accounts that I don't use uh, we'll see how long that actually lasts. I will probably end up making some new account to something and forgetting about it. But 
yeah, that's the goal. <laughs> what a good thing, a good way to start the new year. Like, you know how we have like spring cleaning or I'm going to, there's like a, a tradition where you start the year with like cleaning out your physical space. I like applying this to the digital, just starting the year fresh. Those accounts that have just been lurking on your phone that you're not really using actively or with intention, getting rid of them and really kind of paring down and being intentional about our digital use. I, I love this. Exactly. Yeah. I'm also like, I'm one of those people that uh, my phone is just like constantly telling me that my iCloud is full um, and I don't have any space for anything. So I'm trying to make sure I'm not just taking up space on my phone and all that. But yeah, definitely. Oh my God. I'm so bad about that. I actually pay for extra iCloud storage. I'm one of those people. So I'm like, I would rather just pay a dollar a month or whatever to not have to think about this problem and not have to get those. Because there's nothing more annoying than getting those those warnings like, oh, I, iCloud storage is low. I never get it too because like, and then I can keep taking pictures. Like it never actually cuts me off and taking I know, pictures. I it just keeps don't fully me. under. This is embarrassing. I don't fully understand how it works. I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> I was like, it's, it's never stopped me from doing anything. But I, I, they do send those alerts all the time. One of my, in the new year, one of my digital behaviors that I'm going to try to leave in 2023 is kind of getting worked up about small things on social media. I will say making a podcast about the internet, like you really got to be tapped in and it can't, you, I, I do find myself getting annoyed at behavior that is like, ultimately, if I take a step back, I'm like, is this really, do I really need to be getting annoyed by this? Um, my, the last thing I had a big bee in my bonnet about was how annoying the ads on Twitter have gotten. Have you, have you seen this? Like, oh my God, yeah. they're out of control. <laughs> There's this one that I was getting where it's like an ad for a bra and I don't even wear bras. And so it's like this ad where it's like a woman cutting a bra with scissors and it just was like an autoplay video of a bra being cut with scissors. And I was seeing it every freaking day. And if I saw it one more time, I thought I was going to scream. And then oftentimes the accounts that are posting it are like they have a bored ape or like an NFT Avi. And so I was like, I don't want this bored ape telling me what kind of bra to buy. I just didn't like it. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that does. I, I don't. Yeah, I feel like that's a pretty good generalization as I'm not going to take my broad advice from somebody <laughs> with a board ape <laughs> profile picture. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I wouldn't take any kind of life advice from somebody. Oh, yeah. Oh, life. yeah. If you got a board ape, Abby, on Twitter, there's nothing you can tell me that I need to know, I feel. Literally, there was some tweet. I don't even remember what the tweet was, but I like thought it was funny and I liked it. And then I realized that the person had like a blue check mark. And I immediately unliked it because I was like, no, I feel this feels <laughs> wrong. Like It feels like you shouldn't be funny. Like, I feel like you stole this from somebody. You shouldn't have a blue check mark and be funny. Like, something's wrong there. Yeah, you don't get my laugh if you're also giving Elon exactly. Musk $8. <laughs> I love it. Okay, well, I want to start our first newscast of the year talking about this really interesting new piece from Kate Lindsay and Bustle that I've seen a lot of people sharing online called Dating Apps Are In Their Flop Era. The piece posits that if you met your partner or had a good experience on a dating app like Hinge or Tinder, as the piece said, you basically caught the last chopper out of numb because apparently the dating apps are a hot mess now. Is this, do you have any experience with dating apps? I that's fascinating. This is the first that I have heard of this story. But yeah, I, I, I'm single. I use dating apps. Um, I am like staunchly in the beginning of Gen Z, I guess. But um, 
That is really interesting. I definitely have some weird dating app stories. Um, but, uh, you know, I think especially as like the ways people date has kind of been changing. But uh, yeah, no, this is the first I'm hearing of this. That's interesting. Okay, so she writes, talk to your friends, scroll social media, or even just sit in a bar and listen, and you'll encounter a similar sentiment. Millennials are tired of dating apps, and Gen Z singles might not bother with them. A 2023 survey of college and grad students found that 79% do not use dating apps even once a month, the piece finds. Um, so it sounds like the companies that run these dating apps are also feeling this shift. Match Group, which owns a bunch of them, Tinder, Hinge, Match.com, and OkCupid, saw its stock price drop 40% in the past year. Bumble, whose CEO, Whitney Wolf Heard, stepped down in November after 10 years at the app. Um, and also Field is struggling through a disastrous rebrand. I actually, the only dating app I have ever used with any kind of regularity is Field. It's an app that's like for queer people and like non-monogamous people and like, I guess like kinky people. Field just had a really, I guess the only way I can describe it is like disastrous rebrand. Um, that sounds like a good bit to get into on the Patreon because like there, I have a lot to say about it, but all of these apps, Field, Hinge, Bumble, Tinder are really feeling this change. Match Group said that they saw their paying users decline for the fourth straight quarter, and a 2023 Pew Research study found that while 41% of online dating users aged 30 or older have paid for the apps, just 22% of users under 30, which is the demographic they are really looking to court, have done the same. And yeah, I just, yeah. I just think it sounds like younger folks are just like, I'm good on these apps. What do you think? I definitely actually that I agree with. I don't know anybody that um, I'm in my mid 20s. I don't know anybody that pays for a dating app. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I definitely it, it's interesting too, like hearing that those stats, because I, I do think like of me and my peers, people that I know that use dating apps. I don't know a lot of people that use them like thinking, yes, this is how I'm going to find like a long term relationship. Like to be fully honest, most people, you know, I don't know, like I use Hinge a lot. But that's like, there's like a thing where you can put like what you're looking for. I don't think I've seen a single person put like long, just long term relationship <laughs> or whatever. It's all like, just see what happens, sort your relate, which is, cause that, I don't know. I feel like that maybe it's also just like a, that's how my, we're seeing dating now. Um, that's interesting about field too, because I was going to say the thing that I keep seeing about dating apps is like, and also like, I mean, whatever, like I'm queer. I'm only, I only date other queer people. Um, there's so many people that are like non-monogamous. I had to ask my little brother what ENM meant Ooh. over winter break. <laughs> How did that conversation go? Um, it was really funny because he was my brother was like he's like nineteen. He was just like it's ethical non-monogamy, and I was like, oh, okay, what? Like they already put non-monogamous. Why don't we need to put that? I also think this is really funny because I'm like, does that mean like can somebody call themselves like unethically non-monogamous? Like, has <laughs> anybody ever done that? I know exactly. Like I was like, do they really need to clarify ethical? Um, and then of course my dad overheard this conversation and we had to explain the concept of open relationships to him, which was really funny. But yeah. Um, anyways, that to the same. So it's definitely there's you know some generational thing. I don't know. I'm all for people doing the non-monogamy thing. You know. There's different ways of dating, different ways. But yeah, that's definitely, I think, the majority of what I'm, I've been seeing on there. Um, which I don't, again, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. But I can see, like, from a, you know, the, the corporation's perspective, not having people paying for the app or whatever is 
probably not great for them. <laughs> yeah. First of all, I have to say, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in the Pat household <laughs> during oh, this conversation. <laughs> yeah. So it does sound like exactly what you're saying is happening, that younger people just aren't feeling the idea of paying for this experience. And basically, you know, I, I'm, I guess I consider myself a millennial, like a generation older than you. And for my generation, dating apps and hookup apps were kind of considered the norm of the millennial experience, right? Like they were part of what it meant to be a young millennial when I was coming up. And I think I kind of came up in the heyday of those apps. I didn't really use them myself, but a lot of my friends did. Like that was the thing. And I think that for the younger generation, it's just fatigue. I think people are experiencing fatigue around these apps and just not using them the way that they used to. I also think the experience of like just swiping after swiping after swiping and then having to like go on the date and be like, oh, do you have any siblings? Oh, what do you do? Like, I, I think there's there might be a lot of feelings of exhaustion associated with the experience, like what it feels like to be on these apps. And part of it does just sound like the experience of showing up there kind of sucks now. The most popular apps are free, but they really encourage you to pay to interact with people. And basically, it sounds like they are paywalling all the good profiles. On Hinge, you might know this because you use it, you can only interact with profiles of people who are getting lots of attention or who the algorithm thinks that you might be a good match for, thinks that you might like, if you send them a rose. Users get one free rose per week to send. And in order to regularly engage with those standout profiles, you would need to buy more roses starting at $3.99 each or limit your options to Hinge's general algorithm, where it sounds like they keep all the duds, all the people that they know you're not going to like. They'll show you those people for free. But if you want to see any of the like good ones, you got to pay. Oh, my God. Yeah, I. it's interesting, too, because, again, like I said, like I... I'm on the queer side of Hinge, but, like, I'll talk to my little sister about this, and, like, she, she's straight, and, like, she's only, like, and I, it's a totally different experience. Like, Hinge is completely different for her. Um, I guess the one other thing I think for the, I don't know if this is part of the generational thing, because I definitely do think, like, people still use it, but I think with the, especially people looking at it more casually, like, it's like playing a game. Like, it's like, you're playing swipes, you're, like, <laughs> it's, it's, which, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like sometimes like a lot more people that I'll talk to that are younger will look at it almost as like a video game that you're playing where it's just like or like you're you're getting like points, your likes are to I don't know, I was talking to Okay, now I'm terrified that somebody I match with is on Hinge is gonna like, listen to this. Um if you are, this I'm obviously not talking about They're you. not talking but, about um, you. <laughs> but um uh like I was like it's almost like a like it's like the serotonin boost is like the appeal of it. Like I'm like I'm not even really looking for like any more than I am in like any other space for like dating it's more just like the like oh like you're getting points that show you you're attractive or you're whatever because people are liking your profile um but yeah I and I could definitely and again straight women I'm so sorry for y'all like I'm sure <laughs> you have it so just I spent, from talking to my sister and like my my handful of straight friends um I it's it sounds rough it sounds rough it does I I have heard I, I mean I should say like I have been off the market for a very long time. So I don't, I don't really know what it's like out there, but I have heard horror stories about the kinds of things that men will say and do to women on first dates. It, I, yeah, I also feel for people who are single dating, it doesn't sound like it's 
always very fun. And it doesn't sound like the addition of these apps, which at one time I do think came with the promise of like, oh, you'll get to swipe through lots of people and you'll get to go on lots of dates and it will feel really good and you'll you'll get to like have your pick. I don't know that it feels that way anymore. So yeah, I just, I feel for everybody. Yeah, definitely. And it also, I will say that the, the Rose thing, I just think the vibes might feel weird. Like if I knew that somebody paid $4 just to talk to me, I, that our initial conversation, I just, it doesn't feel like the kind of vibe that I would want to start a potential relationship with. And so I just yeah. feel like that system might already be setting folks up for an experience that just maybe feels a little bit weird. Yeah, I because it's I think unhinged you get like a free rose every day, but like I honestly I don't think I've ever used them. And like I've seen I don't know like <laughs> that's people have sent me roses, Ooh, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> but it's always like I never know what the like I don't know. I mean, the thing about dating apps is you're not meeting in person, so it's hard to pick up like the social cues or whatever. But I'm always like I don't even really know what that means. Like, did you just like really like my profile or were like were you like I guess I'm gonna use my one rose today, whatever? Like, yeah. Um, and it is a little weird. Like it is, I, yeah, I never thought about it that way too, of like, oh, if you, you're paying what, like $4 to see me. I don't know. That's a lot of, that feels like a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah. Pressure. The, the, the very vibe that starts out every good relationship, oh, yeah. every good romantic pairing. Absolutely. And so in the wake of people sort of not feeling the vibes on these apps, the companies themselves are trying to pivot. Like Tinder used to be considered the hookup app, like the app that was just for like, if you want, if like for people who wanted a booty call, right? But since Gen Z statistically is doing the casual hookup thing a lot less, Tinder is sort of pivoting to service folks who say they are looking for love and letting people pick and, and describe the kind of relationships or interactions that they're looking for on the app. So they're trying to pivot away from being solely like a hookup app. I found this really funny. Tinder has also become more kind of politically and socially aware, um, trying to appeal to that Gen Z market that they're really going for. They know that Gen Z really cares about social and political causes. And Melissa Hobley, the chief marketing officer at Tinder, says the LGBTQIA plus community is the fastest growing demo on the app. And during Pride Month, Tinder helped connect eligible users with information about a study that hopes to combat the FDA's blood ban against gay donors. Tinder also launched an election center for app users to access voter registration tools and locate their polling stations and allowed users to include a pro-choice interest on their profile. So all of that is meant to really appeal to like younger folks who they're trying to get to use these apps with more regularity. Yeah, that makes sense. I remember when I, because also I, when, I don't know, I got back on dating apps like, couple months ago probably um and I remember seeing that on tinder I do have a tinder somewhere I don't think I've used it since I downloaded it <laughs> but I remember seeing there were like things you could like that you were interested in pro-choice was one of them and I was like that's sort of a weird like interest to put but I guess like okay like I don't know um I know hinge also does the like you could put your although it only gives you like liberal and like conservative which i think is interesting <laughs> <laughs> nothing um, else yeah it's like it's a radical uh, okay. progressive liberal yeah, and conservative like... that's it and I, I i honestly think what 
is happening with these dating apps is like what always seems to happen with social platforms online, right? Like part of it is that I think that Hinge was this big standout mainstream dating app for a while that made a big song and dance about how they genuinely were interested in and invested in people meeting their matches. Like their slogan was, oh, this is an app that is meant to be deleted because we want you to find your person and then delete the app. However, like most platforms, Dating platforms, they want your data. They are interested in making money from your data. And once they have gotten all they can from the data of the like maximum amount of users who are going to sign up, then they are pivoting to wanting your money too. So they're not designed to be deleted. They are designed to make money off of people who use them, right? Just like, that's why these apps exist. And so if that means paywalling anybody that you might potentially be interested in, they are going to do that. I read recently that Tinder has launched this like super luxe premium package for $500 a month where they were like, oh, we'll have like super special algorithmic matching and even like humans will help match people. Listen, if I'm paying $500 a month for a dating site, the person I meet there better also be like a valet and a personal chef and all the things. (laughs) But I just think that they're, they're just trying to like throw stuff at the wall to see what sticks to set themselves apart because people, like, I don't think they're offering people an experience that always feels good. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the, the other, I mean, the other thing too, I don't know if, any, if anybody who lives in New York remembers the big advertisements that were all over the Union Square subway station for, um, I'm blanking out what it was called, but it was some dating app that was supposed to be like, People that were like elite and like had nice jobs. The and league like, what had a four year the league. That's yes, what it was. Yeah. The league oh my god! Well. Like I was, I remember seeing that. I was like, what? Like I was like, what? Like I don't know that because that kind of I feel like reminds me of this. Where it's like it's there's so many like hyper specific ones that I'm always like, is there really like enough people for this to work who like wanted? I don't know. I had a friend that signed up for the league though, and it sounded like a very interesting <laughs> experience um yeah no that's that's weird i yeah at that point like five hundred dollars like just go back to finding a matchmaker or something like the old i don't know go old school exactly i mean i again i'm i'm i didn't really ha- get to experience the heyday of the apps but everybody that i've ever had a meaningful relationship with has been through I've met through the original OG hinge, which is just like having pushy friends who like to set people up <laughs> who won't take exactly. no for an answer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my God. And I guess like, I don't know. I I I don't think anybody should be spending five hundred dollars a month on a dating a dating app. Absolutely not. That money could be better spent for sure. But I just really feel for people trying to meet people romantically these days. Like It feels like what these apps are offering you, like there was a time where it felt like they were offering an endless supply of potential matches. It was going to be really fun. But it seems like now it's like, hey, do you want this dud or do you want to give us $10 a month or whatever, right? And like, I don't know, dating should be fun and it should be pleasurable. And I hope that people who are looking to be romantically involved or partnered or having any kind of whatever interaction they're seeking... I hope that they are finding ways to do that that feel fulfilling and fun and gratifying, whether they're online or off, because, yeah, it shouldn't just be a slog that mirrors the annoyances and exhaustion of showing up on social media platforms. Like, that's not what romantic partnership is about. And, like, you deserve better than something that feels like a fucking slog. It's supposed to be fun. Let's take a quick break. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet, 
Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. Y'all know I love the internet, but a sad truth about it is that it can be a scary place, especially for women, people of color, and trans folks. We've talked to people on this podcast, whistleblowers, activists, and advocates who are making technology safer, who then become targets for doing that work. But the truth is, it can happen to any of us online. That's why I personally use and recommend Delete Me. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online and makes sure it stays off. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and use promo code nogirls at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and enter code nogirls at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash nogirls code nogirls. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand, comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment. Whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay. They can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. And we're back. Speaking of not of unfulfilling online experiences full of things that are bad. That was a clunky transition, but you know where I'm going with this. Let's talk about Substack. The newsletter platform Substack has a bit of a Nazi problem. This week, Substack agreed to remove five newsletters featuring Nazi content that incited violence. This comes after almost 200 writers, including Casey Newton, who runs Platformer, which I love, a prominent tech publication on Substack, signed on to an open letter threatening to quit the platform if Substack took no action. So this has been an ongoing problem. The Atlantic reported that prominent white supremacists were using the platform Substack not just to spread their message, but also to earn money. The Atlantic reported that Richard Spencer, who you might remember getting punched in the face the last time he was here in my hometown of Washington, D.C., uh, which, by the way, anybody, like, like, ask somebody who was in kind of, or at, th- at least at that time, sort of like more sort of like lefty, radical protest circles, 
everybody that I knew knew somebody who was claiming to be the guy who punched Richard oh Spencer because he was wearing he was like a, a <laughs> yeah. black fucker, like wearing all black. So like nobody knows who who that person was. I have, um, it I have, was actually me. That's it was actually sorry. me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we are all the we person are, that punched Richard Spencer. We are all the puncher. But Richard Spencer now is making like. After being deplatformed from most other social media platforms, he is making at least $9,000 a year and potentially many times that from his Substack newsletter. And he is not alone because Substack, the company, takes 10% of a cut of any money earned on the platform from subscription fees. Substack is essentially profiting from white supremacists who are also breaking their terms of service that ba- that explicitly bans attempts to publish content or fund initiatives that incite violence based on protected classes. So in the letter that these prominent writers and on Substack published, they said, from our perspective as Substack publishers, it is unfathomable that someone with a swastika avatar who writes about, quote, the Jewish question, who promotes the great replacement theory, could be given the tools to succeed on your platform. And yet, you've been unable to adequately explain your position, the letter reads. Um, Substack has always kind of had this public positioning where they were going to treat content with a re- like content moderation with a really light touch. However, as the letter accurately points out, that is not true. They do choose to moderate some content, they including spam sites and newsletters written by sex workers. And so it's they can't really be like, oh, well, we just allow everybody to express themselves. Like, we don't want to pick and choose. Like, people, anybody can show up here. Why do they not allow content written by sex workers on their platform? Hamish McKenzie, a Substack co-founder, defended the company's position back in December, saying, I just want to make it clear that we don't like Nazis either. We wish no one held those views, but some people do hold those and other extreme views, he wrote. So basically being like, oh, well, we're just publishing the views people have. But again, you might not agree that with the profession of sex work, but sex workers exist in society. So if that if that is your argument that we're just, you know, platforming the views that people have and we're not making any kind of like statement about those views, why is that? Clearly, you are picking and choosing the views that you that you choose to platform. Yeah, no, I'm going to like, honestly, and what this is coming from my again, 20 something, like just sort of (laughs) whatever experience I have. I think like this whole issue is something I've kind of gone back and forth about a lot because yeah, it is like one of those things where I'm like, yeah, free speech. Want, but like also obviously like I don't want neo-Nazis. I don't want like explicit, you know, super right-wing, racist, whatever, xenophobic people. Um, But yeah, but I feel like that aside that aside whatever your beliefs are if you are as a company censoring people that yeah are sex workers or doing stuff that you know maybe not even like leftist and like a political sense but sort of on the opposite like sort of side of like whose voices are being heard Mm -hmm. that you're censoring them you're not censoring like that's not an issue of we're censoring versus we're not censoring that's just an issue of favoring the neo-nazis over you know anybody just trying to talk about their life experience well exactly that like that's what these writers have said that it is not just that these like neo-nazi white supremacist folks are being allowed to write on the platform at times the platform has actually promoted that content according to the atlantic patrick casey a leader of a now defunct neo-nazi group who has a Substack newsletter uses a Substack recommendation feature to promote seven other extremist newsletters. And so they'd also describe how, you know, Substack, if you make a certain amount of money, they give you a badge and like things like that. They are 
using those things to, I would argue, promote as a company these beliefs and make money off of these beliefs that they then say like, oh, well, we don't support it. If you don't support it, why are you taking a 10% cut? Like that's but li- the very literal definition of, of supporting it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's not, you know, it's not like, oh, we just have this platform and people are writing on it and we have no say on what they're writing. Like, yeah, at that point, you're complicit. Exactly. You're literally... You're essentially what, like on the on the board of the like neo-Nazi publication, you know? <laughs> exactly. So after this outcry from these writers who submitted this this uh, letter, Substack this week did announce that they were removing five existing publications that they said were breaking the platform's rules with what they were posting. They said, if and when we become aware of other content that violates our guidelines, we will take appropriate action. Uh, they added. We are actively working on more reporting tools that can be used to flag content that potentially violates our guidelines, and we will continue working on tools for user moderation so Substack users can set and refine the terms of their own experience on the platform. And yeah, I just got to say, like, there is an old adage in content moderation of online spaces, which is if you don't explicitly and explicitly and specifically and loudly say that you are not a place for Nazis to gather online... That is how you get Nazis. And if you don't want Nazis, you have to say no Nazis. And I think this really proves it. Casey Newton of Platformer, one of the big tech outlets that was behind this letter, said, the Nazis did not commit the only atrocity in history, but a platform that declines to remove their supporters is telling you something important about itself. And I completely agree. And honestly, like I am usually somebody who will take any excuse to frame something as a win, like even if it's a small win, something about this doesn't smell right to me, right? Like removing five newsletters and then being like, oh, well, you know what? Years later and after outcry and being pushed by these writers who spoke up, we're finally going to do the bare minimum of enforcing our existing terms of service and removing five newsletters. They don't even say which newsletters were removed. And so it just feels so low effort to me that it's almost hard for me to call it a win. Like I'm glad that these writers spoke up and I'm I'm grateful for their organizing work to, to, to push them in the right direction. But like that said, Substack, like get it together. Like, this is such such a low, it feels so low effort that it feels barely worth applauding. Yeah. Also, I don't know, the whole idea of users setting and their own terms for what they're like users have the option to change what they want to see. It's like, okay, but then you're not really solving the problem because you're putting it on the individual to like put what I don't want to see Nazis, which I feel like that should be a given. Yeah. And also, I mean, going back to my statement before, like when I say like whatever, pre-siege, obviously like Nazis are bad. <laughs> That's a pretty like easy statement. <laughs> like it is really weird. A bold like, dance. I know. It's crazy. Um, My gay Jewish self is coming out against the Nazis, I guess. Um, Like, I don't know. It's been so weird the last couple of years saying that has just become like, it's like, like, that should be the bare minimum statement. And you can't be like, Nazis are bad. It's like, whoa, that's, I don't know. Anyways. um, Yeah, like that, that it just, it just, it seems like it's not really going to fix the problem if you're putting it on the users, because, you know, one thing that the OG Nazis were really good at was propaganda and, you know, sort of sanitizing their beliefs or packaging their beliefs in a way that like the average person would agree with it and you know this is just giving them another avenue to do that yes and i don't think that you know your average person who just wants to read stuff on substack or write on substack about their life or whatever sh- should be tasked with that like that's a that like that is a 
that is an organizational and a structural problem. And I don't think, as you said, I don't think it should be left up to people to to have to filter out that level of extremist content, right? Obviously, if there's like stuff that you don't want to see, it's good for platforms to allow you customization. But this is so far beyond a typical customization problem. Like clearly it is a organizational structural problem that the the powers that be at Substack have to sort out. And like, it is it, if you are not being paid by Substack, it should not be your responsibility to figure out how to keep Nazi content off of the platform. Like that is a that is that is that that burden should not be on us as the user. Like that should not be on the user end. And speaking of hate speech on these platforms, so one of my New Year's resolutions was to stop using Twitter so much. Um, TBD on how it is going. So far, not well. Um, <laughs> but that will probably mean spending more time on alternatives like Threads. When we first checked in on Threads when it launched, it felt like very brand safe to me and just like didn't feel like a cool platform. I haven't spent a lot of time there yet. So like maybe that has changed. But one thing that has changed on Threads is that people are reporting the platform is flooded with more transphobic, pro-life, anti-porn, and Islamophobic posts. So hearing this, I logged in for the first time in ages, and it didn't take long for me to see this this post from a user that I did not follow. And certainly like don't follow any accounts that would have like recommended this to me. It was a tweet that just said, it's okay to be white. It's okay to be white. Like, I saw copy that. And pasted a bunch. Did you see that? Oh my God. Yeah, I did. So just a really weird post, right? Yeah, no, this is, I've been having the same experience of like, I, the only time, because I also like, I feel like I have the same sort of thing with threads where like I made it when I, I made a threads account when it came out, it's connected to my Instagram and everything, but I am not. The only times I've opened it is when I get in the Instagram feed, I'll get like baited into clicking, like hate clicking on stuff because yeah, I'll get like all the, there's that thing now where it shows you like recommended threads and they're always like the most like inflammatory. Like there's been a lot of Islamophobic stuff or like very racist stuff that I've seen them and like that can't be real. And then I'll click on it to like see the full thing and whatever. It's very like rage baity kind of stuff. But yeah, no, that's I, the only times I've opened threads have been to see those see those tweets in full and be like is this really something joey oh my god i i will i this will be the rest of the episode but when i told when i said up top that one of my plans for the new year was to spend less time getting bent out of shape about content like this it is it was inspired in part by that that i know exactly what you're talking about on instagram where you're like who is saying what now then you click in and if you're me then you spend your whole day being like well this can't possibly like i I need to research this like what's going on here before you know it you're knee deep in some weird ass profile being like like what is this what is this ridiculousness that i'm looking at on winter break when we were off i spent an entire half of day i lost a whole half a day to that process and i was like they got me. It, it's it's total engagement rage bait. They want you to click. Maybe they want you to click by accident. And yeah, it just it just it doesn't feel good. It, like it, it's like a crappy. It feels crappy to have that experience online, and it feels like more and more like that's what platforms have to offer you is engagement farming and rage baiting, and then like exploiting your accidental click into something with shocking inflammatory content. It is infuriating. But I will say that Facebook, Meta, 
they are aware of this problem. So in a statement to Mashable, Facebook acknowledged that some users are being shown this type of repetitive, low quality content saying, we want people to have a positive experience on threads and we're continually making improvements to what people see on the app. In addition to removing content that violates our community guidelines, we're aware that some people are seeing this repetitive, low quality content they may not be interested in. We're taking steps to address it. So I've read a few responses on this from Adam Mosseri, comma, who some listeners might remember is one of my personal enemies. But all of his comments about it are like so general. They're kind of like, oh, we're doing our best to get it off the platform, yada, yada, yada. But it is clear that you need to have very clear rules, very clear enforcement of those rules, and a way to find it when those pieces of content are breaking the rules when users are doing it in a repetitive way. Like, it is not easy to run a text-based social media platform. I'll be the first person to admit it. It, Like, it is a pay grade far above me. However, it just, yeah, they've got to get it together because nobody wants to have social platforms where it just feels scammy or baity. And I just think that most people have had their fill of experiences that feel that way online right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because like, especially looking at like, yeah, the threads that would pop up on my feed that would get recommended to me, there were always things that I was like, if you're taking my data, and you're like, understanding the type of person that I am, and things I'm interested in, and what my political beliefs are, like, this is very clearly the opposite of that. Like, is the point of these just to get me to like, click on it? Because I'm yeah, like rage bait or like, confused bait me into clicking on something I like which you know as a marketing strategy to get people to use your app works uh that being said it's not very ethical (laughs) yeah I definitely like I every time like that happens I'll take a second and like scroll start scrolling through threads and be like and it's never I don't know it is like the same where I'm like I still feel like it's like the social media platform itself hasn't really like there's no real reason for me to go on it otherwise so it's weird it's a weird situation yeah i've come to see myself as someone who has gotten more susceptible to the kind of rage confusion engagement bait that you just described i know like i know it when i see it and i almost feel like the more learned I am about that kind of content, somehow the more it gets me. On Twitter, like if you are a black person, a young black person who is on Twitter, you probably are familiar with a certain kind of post that you know is just like, I can't I can't describe it, but you know it when you see it, where it'll be like, there's there was a video recently of a of three black women knocking on a door at like knocking on a door of an apartment and the caption on Twitter was like, this girl was out until 5 a.m. and her man changed the locks on her. What do you all think about this? And everybody is like, oh, like, why is it bad to go out at 5 a.m.? And then people are being like, yeah, like, she deserves it. And something about those kinds of posts where it's o- it's always something, like, very inflammatory. It might not even be true. It might be, like, a skit that people are doing. That's a whole other episode about how people are making skits putting them online as if they have been filmed and then raking in that sweet, sweet engagement when people react to it. Um, I could, I mean, we should do a whole episode on it because it's a, it's a common thing, (laughs) but for whatever reason, I am, I am susceptible to that. Like I am not above that. I find myself like scrolling the comments and I'm like, why am I getting angry about this probably fake scenario that has nothing to do with me? Like there's enough stuff in the world for me to be reacting to in my own life. Like why am I exposing myself and getting myself bent out of shape about 
things that are being presented to me specifically to react to. I don't know. It just I'm going off on a tangent here, but it's a problem and it doesn't feel good. And I agree with you. More after a quick break. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand, comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment. Whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay. They can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Let's get right back into it. So speaking of scams and bait on social media and on Twitter, no, the SEC did not register Bitcoin on securities exchanges. Thank you to listener Trisha Friedman for flagging this for us to talk about. Uh, and, And if folks have stories that they want us to talk about, you can always flag them to us. So the official Twitter account of the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC Gov, was compromised this week and sent out an unauthorized tweet. This is a pretty big deal. Twitter officially says that they investigated and determined that it was not a breach of their systems, but that somebody got a hold of somebody from the SEC's phone, which did not have two-factor 
authentication enabled. And that's how they posted the fake tweet. The tweet said, it, it, it does look like a US Securities and Exchange Commission tweet. The tweet says, today the SEC grants approval for Bitcoin ETFs for listing on all registered national securities exchanges. The approved Bitcoin ETFs will be subject to ongoing surveillance and compliance measures to ensure continued investor protection. So this would be a big deal had it been true, which it's not. But that fake tweet did cause a brief spike in Bitcoin's value of around 2.5% to nearly $47,870 before crashing around 3.2% from its original price. So Twitter, you know, they, they denied any responsibility for this incident. So they say, I don't know. But what is clear is that since Musk took over at Twitter, Twitter has gotten a lot less secure. This piece in Wired puts it really well. They say Elon Musk's aggressive slashing of the company's staff over the past year raised fears that the cuts would leave Twitter unable to secure a platform depended on by users that include high-profile figures and government agencies worldwide. One former Twitter information official sued Musk and others for alleged wrongful termination after he was fired for, he claims in the lawsuit, arguing that the staff cuts would interfere with Twitter's ability to comply with a 2011 consent decree with the U.S. Federal Trade Commission to protect users' personal information. And yeah, I, I, I gotta say, like, I, one of the reasons I want to use Twitter less is that I don't trust that somebody like Elon Musk would keep my personal information secure and safe. And it makes sense considering how he is, how he acts, how he shows up. Wired spoke to Allison Nixon, the chief research officer for cybersecurity firm Unit 221B, which frequently deals with hackers' accounts takeovers, she puts it really well. She says, people put a lot of trust into an entity that has stopped being a serious company. If a government wants to be able to make statements that people can rely on, they can't do that on a platform that has a targeted account takeover problem. And yeah, like even if Musk is denying any kind of responsibility for this, which he is, he certainly is not signaling that he is taking it very seriously. Right after the news of the SEC's Twitter account being compromised broke, Musk was joking around about it on Twitter, responding to a post jokingly being like, oh, what's the SEC's password? Wrong answers only. Musk responds, LFG, Doge to the moon, which is like, let's fucking go. A joke about <laughs> Dogecoin. The jokes, I mean, like, side note, the jokes aren't even ever funny with him. It's, al it's always some yeah. like stupid <laughs> little meme that was like cool five years ago. He gets on everything very late. That's another thing about Elon Musk I can't stand. It's the whole Dogecoin thing. Like, Doge is such an old meme. It's like, so old! Is... <laughs> like, oh my god. I'm sure there's, like, teenagers that have, like, no idea what that even fucking means. Like, it's so old. That is so ridiculous. Oh my god. Update your references. <laughs> yeah. And Trisha, the listener who flagged this story for us, really made a good point, which is that for all the hand-wringing that elected officials do about TikTok... It's such a good reminder that TikTok is not the only platform out there that folks seem to be thinking about when it comes to our digital security. You know, there was a time where elected officials, campaigns, governments, et cetera, when they needed to communicate quickly with us, the public, it was Twitter that they used, right? And so I don't know if that's going to be the case going forward with Musk at the helm, but yeah, it, so it really does matter that it is a secure platform. And speaking of Elon Musk, Joey, is there anything that you want to ask me about Elon Musk? Ooh, uh, let's see, we're, what, like, on the second week to, to 2024, uh, but still, <laughs> so excited to hear, what has Elon done now? Well, Elon Musk is on Twitter dipping into straight race science. 
Oh no. No, it's bad. Oh, no. It's one of those things that I almost didn't want to talk about because I'm like, oh, this, I can't stand this guy. But it does connect to a lot of the conversation that's going on right now. Uh, you know, we've done a few episodes on Bill Ackman and Christopher Rufo and their attempts to really create a moral panic around DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, and have had success in getting Dr. Claudine Gay ousted from her position at Harvard. Well, as y'all know, if it is despicable people doing despicable stuff, you already know Elon Musk is going to be involved in it in the mix somehow. So yesterday, he was engaging with a tweet suggesting that historically Black college graduates have, quote, borderline intellectual impairment. So this pretty big account on Twitter, Eyelash Ho, which is an account that like really spreads a lot of junk race science. This account was talking about this program from United Airlines that gives HBCU, Historically Black College, students opportunities to interview with the company's career development program to be pilots. Eyelash Ho says, the mean IQ of grads from two of those United Airlines HBCU partners is about 85 to 90 based on the average SATs at those schools. Side note, that's just not true. That's made up. He says, the SAT correlates reasonably well with IQ. The HBCU IQ averages are within 10 points of the threshold for what's considered borderline intellectual impairment. I'll add that IQ is a well-studied and well-known predictor of job performance, especially for quick processing and mentally demanding occupations like major airline pilot. So none of that is correct. All yeah, of that is, is wrong. not true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, first of all, IQ is a totally like arbitrary system in measuring intelligence. Right. Like. We've known this for a while. People still latch onto it. It's like, this is how, you know, brain smart. But, you know, I, (laughs) yeah, no, I. (laughs) So even for as wrong and incorrect and silly and junky and bad science and all the other things as that tweet is, Elon Musk basically co-signed that tweet. He replied saying, it will take an airplane crashing and killing hundreds of people for them to change this crazy policy of D-I-E. Did you catch what he did there? The policy is D-E-I. But he mixed, he mixed the letters around so it spells D-I-E. Die. I don't know. Also, I'm sorry. Elon, like, don't, don't, don't throw stones in glass houses or whatever. Like, that is... <laughs> you should not be the one talking about people crashing and dying with their... <laughs> oh, yes! Thank you! Like, yeah. <laughs> about crashing and dying, homie. Let's look at your own cars. That is such a good point. Also, it's wild to me that they would be like, we broke it. Like, he, like here's the, the here's the pithy slogan. <laughs> if you mix the letters around, it smells die. Like, get it on a oh billboard. Like, it's just, it, it's, it's the most. It's like in, uh, like in Harry Potter when they, when like Voldemort's name, like they turn it around and it's <laughs> whatever, like <laughs> it actually says die. Oh my God. <laughs> and I just like, this whole idea is just so silly, right? Like. This idea that because you have DEI initiatives, side note, like, I feel like I have been in a position of defending DEI the last few weeks because of what's going on. But like, DEI initiatives are basically toothless. They are basically like meaningless. They're basically like, they they don't really, they have not really accomplished a lot. I was listening to the podcast, If Books Could Kill. They don't do much. Mm -hmm. I was listening to the podcast, If Books Could Kill. And one of the points that they made, which is a really good one, which is that if you were a racist in 2024 and you really wanted your spaces to be all mostly white men and have like white, straight, cis men in power, 
you would you should like the EI initiatives because they have been so ineffective at actually making things more diverse and inclusive that you should be like, wow, this is going great. Like I'm going to keep endorsing this. Yeah, right. But however, this idea that like DEI initiatives mean that you have armies of black folks and brown folks and other represented identities working in these places it's just a fiction, but that's what they're, so they're basically creating a fiction and then turning that fiction into a boogeyman and then being like, ooh, I'm scared. I watched this Fox News report about the Alaska Airlines flight where the door came off. Did you see that? I did. Terrifying. Yeah. But in the report on Fox News, they were like, oh, well, diversity in pilots is to blame for this. Like it's DEI. That's, that's what the problem is here. And it's like, Damn, y'all will really blame us for anything. Now we're now we're causing plane problems. Like you will blame us for anything. Hi, okay, future Bridget here, popping in solo without Joey because we just got an update on a story that I was obsessed with even before I ever started doing these news roundup episodes. So I had to talk about it with y'all. I don't think we ever actually talked about this story on the newscast, but it's one of the more bizarre, not to mention gruesome tech stories that I have heard in a long, long time. Today, the online auction site eBay has been ordered by a Massachusetts court to pay $3 million in damages after their employees and contractors waged what I can only describe as all-out psychological warfare on a Boston couple. That $3 million is the statutory maximum fine for eBay's charges, and in my book, the couple they harassed deserves every penny of it. So back in 2019, eBay senior executives were annoyed that this couple, the Steiners, we're running a newsletter called E-Commerce Bytes about eBay that was meant to give people who sell stuff on eBay and auction sites information about the site, happenings with it, news, all of that kind of stuff. According to Yahoo, this harassment campaign began after Ina Steiner wrote a story in her newsletter about a lawsuit brought by eBay that accused Amazon of poaching its sellers according to court records. About a half an hour after Ina Steiner published this article, eBay's then-CEO, Devin Wenning sent another top executive a message saying, quote, if you are ever going to take her down, now is the time. That executive then sent his message to James Ba, who was eBay's senior director of safety and security, and he called Ina Steiner a, quote, biased troll who needs to get burned down. After that, I guess Ba was like, I am on it because he became the ringleader of this harassment and intimidation campaign against the Steiners. Side note, also, don't put stuff like this in an email. Like if you're ever going to do something like this, hopefully you're never waging a crazy campaign of harassment and intimidation against anybody. But if you're ever doing something where you're like, oh, it might be bad if someone were to read these emails, discuss it in person. Your next email should be like, let's talk about it in person. So eBay's head of security basically had other staffers send disturbing packages to this couple's home, including a bloody pig mask, an actual fetal pig, a box of live spiders, a box of live cockroaches, pornography, and a funeral wreath, along with a book called How to Grieve the Death of a Spouse. So like, pretty obviously meant to be a threat or a way to intimidate them. Horrifying. The staffers also traveled to their home. They apparently had a plan when they found that their home was locked. They had a plan and tools to break into their home to install a GPS tracking device on their car. They posted the couple's home address on Craigslist, inviting randos to come to their house for sex parties. These were senior-level executives at eBay. Jim Baugh, eBay Senior Director of Safety and Security, 
was the ringleader, and he was sentenced to 57 months in prison back in September of 2022 for his role in all of this. Six other employees also face felony convictions for their involvement in this, which include charges of stalking, witness tampering, and obstruction of justice. Acting U.S. Attorney for Massachusetts, Joseph S. Levy, said eBay engaged in absolutely horrific criminal conduct and that the company's employees and contractors put victims through pure hell in a petrifying campaign aimed at silencing their reporting and protecting the eBay brand. Imagine doing serious federal jail time because you wanted to protect the brand eBay. So get this, eBay's then-CEO, Devin Wenning, the one who was sending those emails about this couple who was harassed, was not criminally charged with anything related to this. But he did step down from eBay in 2019 after it all came to light. But James Ba, the ringleader, his lawyers have said that he faced relentless pressure from Wenning and other top executives to do something about this couple. He alleged that he was then pushed out by the company when, quote, an army of outside lawyers descended to conduct an internal investigation aimed at saving the company and its top executives from prosecution. It really does sound like this started at the very tippy top, like he, like the, C- the former CEO, Wenning, was on those emails. So it does sound like this started at the very, very tippy top and that this behavior was not just tolerated, but expected, but invited, but like all but asked to happen. And guess what? That former eBay executive wedding, even though he has not been charged with a crime, it is not like he is laying low after overseeing a company where this kind of criminal behavior happened. Today, he is the CEO of Symbolically AI, a company that he co-founded that is supposed to use AI to help writers and publishers. On his website, he lists all the great accomplishments that he oversaw when he was at eBay, but conveniently does not list overseeing a criminal harassment campaign. Okay, so we got to talk about this new SAG agreement. This summer, actors and screenwriters were in a big standoff with studios in part over AI in what folks like me called hot labor summer. Basically, the question was, could studios use the likeness of actors without their consent to make AI versions of them that they could use forever and ever and ever without paying up? Well, this week, SAG-AFTRA, the union representing more than 150,000 film and TV performers, announced a deal that sets terms for the use of AI voices in video games. So the deal is with Replica Studios, an AI voice technology company, and it establishes protections around the licensing of digitally replicated voices. Duncan Crabtree Ireland, who is SAG-AFTRA's national executive director, told NBC News, I think what's really important about this agreement is the fact that it provides protection for all performers at all levels in the industry. And the fact is, a lot of times performers who may not be famous names really need that protection even more because their bargaining leverage to negotiate those kinds of things individually is not as great. So one of the big pieces of how performers are thinking about the use of AI is whether or not their voices and likenesses can be used after they die, which is like pretty creepy. Crabtree Ireland said that posthumous deals are possible with the consent of whoever the estate has designated to act on the deceased performer's behalf. So I was our, I was sort of like set to be like, oh, that's great. That's good. Like, I'm so happy they have a deal in place. However, after doing a little more research, I came to find that a lot of performers are either A, angry about this deal or B, skeptical of this deal and still have more questions. Like I went to the social media posts that were announcing this agreement and several people were expressing frustration with this agreement and the announcement saying that they did not feel like the union had done a good enough job of representing their interests as it pertains to AI or even just like educating them on what they need to know about this agreement. And 
I don't know. I think it's one of those stories where we'll definitely keep an eye on it and, and give updates where there are updates. But yeah, it sounds like maybe the folks who are being represented here and the folks who are doing the negotiating, there might be a little bit of daylight in between what what they what both of those parties see as their best interest and whether or not they're being represented. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of friends who are actors in my life. So I this is something I've been like hearing about from them. Um, people are not happy <laughs> with this agreement. Um, and like I totally understand it. And it's interesting because I so like I as an iHeart employee, like I'm part of the Writers Guild. Um, and we weren't on strike. It was just the film and television division. We were in a different division. But um it was interesting because I feel like with the writer's strike there was a lot more like transparency about what was happening. Obviously, it's not perfect, but, like, you know, I felt like, at least, like, even as somebody who was not in the division that was on strike, like, I had kind of an idea what was happening and, like, what the deal was and, like, what the, like, kind of negotiation, how that was going. And I feel like there has, there was a lot of, like, muddiness about, around the SAG, uh, the negotiations. And, and yeah, again, like, just from... From my friends that have, are dealing with this because it's their careers, it, they don't seem to be happy. And I also remember like looking at the SAG Instagram posts and like looking over to get the comments and take a bunch of people that are like, I don't, like especially even when like the the contract was announced, there were a bunch of videos that were going around from like really prominent actors being like, oh yes, on this like, and it was like, why do you have to advertise to people to vote yes? Like it should be a thing where it's just like, yeah, look, we have a good deal do you support it or not? I don't know. It, yeah. So this whole thing, I wish the best to SAG and uh, like all of the actors everywhere that have to deal with all of this solidarity. Again, it's, it's rough out here. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you. And honestly, like these performers who are worried about things like their likeness being used via AI after they're dead, that sounds very creepy and futuristic, but they're not, that's not a, an out there concern because just this week, comedy icon, stand-up legend George Carlin released a new comedy special, which is very impressive considering he's been dead since 2008. And the special is called I'm Glad I'm Dead. It is from Dudesy. I'm getting this from Variety. I'm about to say this, but I'm not totally sure what it means. Dudesy, comma, a comedy AI that hosts a podcast and YouTube show with Mad TV alum Will Sasso and podcaster Chad Kultkin. I don't know what that means. So, like, is Dudesy AI? Like, like who? Like, yeah. what is what is the AI entity in this? Like, I'm it sounds like a like an Onion article. Like the I don't know the George Carlin specifically. Like, I cannot think of somebody who would probably be like more angry at the fact that his image is being used for like an AI. Thing. Totally. Like this is how you get haunted by like a spirit that anytime you're trying to concentrate, like whispers pithy little observations about the society oh in your ear. Like you want to be haunted by the ghost of George Carlin. Like this is how you get haunted by the George, the ghost yeah. of George Carlin. Which I would love to be haunted by the ghost of George Carlin, but like in a fun way, like yes. as like like in a like my little buddy is just giving me life advice, not in whatever's going to come to these guys. Like that's going to be something different. <laughs> okay, so I, I'm so confused about what this entity dudesy is. This is from their website. 
Will Sasso and Chad Colkin have been selected by a state-of-the-art entertainment AI to host this first-of-its-kind comedy podcast. Wait, so they were selected by the AI? I don't know if that's a joke or not. Like, I, 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 don't know what, yeah. I don't know what I'm reading. It goes on to say, our hosts have been convinced to grant the dudesy AI access to all of their personal emails, text messages, social media accounts, purchases, and browsing histories so that it can tailor the show to their specific personalities and entertain you at the highest level possible. I don't like, I don't understand what I'm reading. This whole thing, like this sounds like it's a George Carlin. Yes, it like, it's sure like does. they've been granted permission by like the AI. I don't know. Like that's wow. I I'm I am confused. I am confused. <laughs> so I, I'll go on. So Dudesy starts off the comedy special with this. I want to let you know very clearly that what you're about to hear is not George Carlin. It is my impersonation of George Carlin that I developed in the same way that a human impressionist would. I listened to all of George Carlin's material and did my best to imitate his voice, cadence, and attitude, as well as subject matter, I think that would have interested him today. So think of it like Andy Kaufman impersonating Elvis, or like Will Ferrell impersonating George W. Bush. So I see what Dude C is doing there, but like, he's trying to make us be like, oh, well, this is a more common thing for comedians than you think. But He's naming comedians who impersonate non-comedians. Like, it's not like Will Ferrell impersonating George W. Bush. It's more like Dave Chappelle impersonating Richard Pryor. Like, it's like a comedian impersonating another comedian. This just sounds like the most annoying dude at the party. Oh, my it's God. Like, like, do you want to hear my George Carlin impression? <laughs> like, whatever. Like, yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. And I'm not even sure if that dude is a dude or AI. Like, I'm not, I, again, I'm not, yeah. I'm not sure, like, what they're trying to tell me here. So... But I can confirm to you per variety that it is an AI-generated impression of Carlin. I don't know in what way this traditionally counts as an impersonation, but there you have it. So this special has Carlin commenting on things in tech that he never got to see because he died in 2008, like Elon Musk buying Twitter and Jeff Bezos's rocket launch into space in 2022. Uh, you know what they did forget to do, though, is get any kind of permission from George Carlin's very much still alive family member. His daughter, Kelly Carlin, posted on Twitter saying, my dad spent a lifetime perfecting his craft from his very human life, brain, and imagination. No machine will ever replace his genius. These AI-generated products are clever attempts at trying to recreate a mind that will never exist again. Let the artist's work speak for itself. Humans are so afraid of the void that we can't let what has fallen into it stay there. Here's an idea. How about we give some actual living human comedians a listen to? But if you want to listen to the genuine George Carlin, he has 14 specials that you can find anywhere. So <laughs> I hate that she has to make that statement, but I really appreciated it. And yeah, like you were saying, of all the comedians that I feel like would not have rocked with this, I feel like George Carlin especially would not have rocked with this. Yeah, yeah. And I, I love George Carlin. There is a, a bit, like, I actually just finished edits on an op-ed that opens with a George Carlin bit. I, I, I reference it on the show, like, all the time. Y'all probably are sick of me saying it. But I have gotten more wisdom and use out of this one George Carlin bit than I have gotten from anything I've ever encountered in a philosophy book or a college course. And that is his shit versus stuff bit. You ever notice how... Your stuff is stuff and everybody else's stuff is shit. I, this is not me trying to do an impersonation of him. I, I literally quote it all the time. But <laughs> that one, there, I feel like there is more insight into the human condition and how we all live in a society together in that bit than anything else I've ever read. And it bums me out. Like, 
the idea of comedians or podcasters trying to recreate that using AI, it's like, yeah, let the work stand for itself. Not everything needs to be a AI generated copy of something that was good. That copy probably wouldn't even be good. And his daughter's not into it. So don't do this. I, I just really hate this. Thanks so much for being here, Joey. Where can folks keep up with all your awesome work? You can find me on social media at Pat Not Pratt. That's P-A-T-T-N-O-T-P-R-A-T-T. Um, and if you want to listen to my other work, you can check out After Lives, the Lillian Polanco story. Um, we just finished up the kind of main arc. We're posting some sort of bonus content, longer interviews at the moment but you should definitely check that out uh super important story but yeah thanks so much for being here thanks so much for all your great work and thanks to all of you for listening you can find me on social media you can hit me up on email at hello at tangody.com and you can check out more ad-free content at our patreon at tangody.com slash patreon If you're looking for ways to support the show, check out our merch store at tangodi.com slash store. Got a story about an interesting thing in tech or just want to say hi? You can reach us at hello at tangodi.com. You can also find transcripts for today's episode at tangodi.com. There Are No Girls on the Internet was created by me, Bridget Todd. It's a production of iHeartRadio and Unboss Creative. Edited by Joey Pat. Jonathan Strickland is our executive producer. Tari Harrison is our producer and sound engineer. Michael Amato is our contributing producer. I'm your host, Bridget Todd. If you want to help us grow, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to Brand New on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.